0: incredible it is so good to be here today and i am going to resume our zechariah series and i have come to we have come to zechariah chapter 11 now zechariah chapter 11 is not an easy passage to preach i know we say this of all the zechariah passages to be honest because it is actually in all honesty not a very easy book to preach from and zechariah 11 is kind of Same, it's not that easy to get. Actually, I, I really wanted to get a three point sermon down, you know, where I could fit it in and everything. So I could not do that, was not brilliant enough, was not inspired nor anointed enough. But I have managed to squeeze or get all my points to start with the letter P. That's why the title of my sermon today is Pick Your P from Zechariah chapter. 11. What, why is this title relevant or how does it correct? Let's dive straight into the scripture. Now, Zechariah 11, as I mentioned, not an easy book to preach because many commentators and all that disagree on many different things. So what I want to do today is I don't want to tackle it from a very academic point of view. I will try to lay up a little bit of context. I will try to explain a little bit what the text is trying to get at, but I also want to apply some practical solutions on how this passage can be applicable to our lives today. Okay, so I'm gonna read, I'm gonna go through my points, I'm gonna read each scripture, so follow along with me. But before we do that, let's commit this time into prayer wherever you are. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to gather here as your body, as your church, whether we are in the building or whether we're in our homes or whether we're catching up with the service later. I pray that today as we listen to the message, it will be one of revelation and not just information. Would you stir our hearts more than just tickle our minds and ears, God? We thank you, Lord. Anoint me now. Please speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So let's go into it. My first point is this zechariah 11 verse 1 to 3 the plank of pride why look let's look at verse 1 to 3 it says this open your doors lebanon so that fire may devour your cedars well you juniper for the cedar has fallen the stately trees are ruined Whale oaks of bashan the dense forest has been cut down listen to the wail of the shepherds their rich pastures are destroyed listen to the roar of the lions the large ticket of the jordan is ruined now very very simply here this talks about judgment now we must know that God is not just a God of mercy, He is also a God of judgment. God is not just a God of blessing, He is also a God of testing. God is not just a God of love, He is also a God of justice. So judgment is very much part of God's nature, and it is not one or the other, it's like two sides. different sides to the same coin this is who god is so here the scripture tells us that judgment is coming to the gentiles particularly lebanon which is the north of israel and jordan which is the south of israel Now the cedar wood here is mentioned why because cedar is lebanon's pride it's one of the strongest wood that is out there so if you are antique collector or if you're into woodwork you will know that one the cedar wood is a strong pure wood that also represented lebanon's pride that was what they were known for that's what they were famous for yet no matter how strong the wood no matter how quality the materials the fire still comes and devours it that is the nature of fire and that is the nature of judgment hebrews 12 verse 29 mentions this for our god is a consuming fire so what does this what is what does this mean this means that pride pride our accomplishments our achievements our titles our wealth all the objects and the manifestations of our pride cannot stand against God's judgment. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how influential you are. It doesn't even matter how anointed you think you are. When the judgment of God comes, it is like a fire that consumes. And if you look at the word pride, P-R-I-D-E, what is in the middle of that? It is the letter I just like the word sin, S-I-N. What's in the middle there is the letter I. Even anxiety, if you think of the word anxiety, what's in the middle of that I? It's about me. I am the object of my affection. I am the center of the attention. I am the center of my universe. And when we are prideful, God's judgment comes. So Lebanon, prideful gentiles prideful doesn't matter israel prideful god's judgment comes nonetheless you see james 4 verse 6 says this but he gives more grace that's why scripture says god opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble i think about the story of pharaoh you know when moses went to confront pharaoh and he told pharaoh let my people go what did pharaoh say pharaoh said Who is this God that I should let these people go so that they can worship Him? Who is this God? Who is this God? I don't need God. I don't know God. I am not aware of God. Why should I even be aware of Him? Or why do I even need to acknowledge that He is God? That is pride. And when we are prideful, God's judgment is inescapable. James 4 verse 10 beckons us to do this humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? He will lift you up. If we humble ourselves before God, he will lift us up. They who kneel before God can stand before anyone. What is the posture today? So my point is, my point that I titled the uh, plank of pride. Why? Because plank is like like fuel to a fire. So when judgment comes, you don't want to fuel that fire. You want to allow the streams and the waters of grace to overflow. And how do we do that? We humble ourselves. Even the lion here in in this scripture is mentioned of the lion. The lion is known as the king of the jungle we think of lion king and even the lion does not stand no matter how majestic how grand or how great it is now why was lebanon and jordan judged because quite simply they were prideful and they did not turn to god why did they not turn to god because of israel's failure if we read in Zechariah chapter 10. You see, Israel's role is not just to be blessed. it is ble- They are blessed to be a blessing. Genesis 12 verse 1 to 3, going back to the call of Abraham, this is what it says. The Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. What did he say? He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse you, whoever curses you, I will curse. But all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So if Israel was meant to walk in covenanted blessing with God, the result of that is the surrounding nations are to be blessed. But yet Israel did not turn to God. Therefore, they could not point the way to the neighboring nations and therefore they are judged. Now, why did Israel not do that? Which leads me to my second point, Zechariah eleven four to verse 6, phony leadership. Phony leadership. Let's read verses 4 to 6. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord. I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them, for I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. Israel was under a leadership who were not true and genuine shepherds. They were people who only cared about themselves. Instead of caring for the flock, they sold them for the slaughter, and they had even had the gall to say, praise the Lord, I am rich. This signifies leadership or spiritual leaders that use people or leverage on people for their own benefit or to further their own agenda. And when that happens, what does God say? God says, I will turn them over. And when God said this, I will turn them over when he's speaking about Israel. He means that he, he will remove his hand of protection and Israel will be plunged into conflict. Israel will be plunged into conflict. When a church has not spiritual or phony leadership, only people who, uh, who make use of, the only leaders who make use of the people for their own agenda, there may be results for a while, there may be traction after a bit, but what happens in the long run is that there will be lack of unity. There'll be disunity, why? Because God removes his hand of protection. The Bible also tells us that it is in unity that God commands his blessing. And Romans 1, also implies that there is a certain aspect of God giving over to sin, turning them to their sin. He says this, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And I, I will come back to this phony leadership point towards the end, you will see why. But I just want to encourage us this, with Matthew 7 verses 15, 18, and 20. I'm gonna skip a few scriptures here, put them together. It says, verse 15 says, watch out for false prophets. They come in you sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And verse 20, thus by the fruit you will recognize them. How can you tell whether a leader is spiritual or phony or not? It is by the fruit in their lives. Not just by the messages they preach, not just by the achievements, not just by the organizations they build, but by the fruit in their lives, and I will come back to this point in a short while, but I will go now to my third point. I'm gonna read Zechariah 11, verses seven to eight, and eight, I will split it into two parts. This first part here, my point is this, powerless but not helpless. The scripture tells us, Zechariah. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor, the Hebrew word naum, and the other union. And I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. So God here acknowledges that there are false shepherds over Israel, and what He promises is that He will come and He Himself will re-shepherd every father the. And that is good news for us because no matter what we have gone through, whether we are going through bad leadership, whether we have gone through spiritual abuse, whether we have even gone through the lack of proper parenting in our childhood, in our lives, when we turn our hearts to our heavenly father, who is perfect, he will re-father us. He will teach us how to be a good father and he himself will re-father us and re-parent us. And here the scripture says that in one month, I got rid of the tree shepherds. What do these tree shepherds mean? These tree shepherds refer to the priests, the elders, and the Sanhedrin in the day of Jesus. So in the day of Jesus, the Pharisees, the priests, the elders, and the Sanhedrin, they were at what I call the peak and pinnacle of spiritual hypocrisy. They were all about the outward. They were all about how they look in front of people, how they portray themselves in front of people, how they carry themselves, but inside of their heart, they were devoid of any revelation nor love for God. They only had love for themselves and all their outward things. So God is saying, when I sent Jesus, who was actually the true shepherd, to go and father Israel, he would remove all of them. And that is true because in... um, after the birth of, after the, the birth and death of Jesus, the Roman conquest of Judea happened, and when that happened, the office of the priests the elders and the Sanhedrin, even kings no longer existed anymore into Israel up to today because that has all been fulfilled in Jesus. So God is saying through Zechariah prophesying that Israel, I see the rut you are in. You are oppressed by your spiritual leaders by sending one. I am sending one who would liberate you and I will get rid of those who are oppressing you. And how can we apply that to our lives is that we must recognize this, that sometimes God off removes a person from your life for your protection. Think about that before you go running after them. I don't like losing people. I don't like people walking away. I don't like people drifting away. But I do recognize in life, sometimes certain relationships don't work. Sometimes certain people are not good for you. If they are, remain in your life, they can actually cause you to not walk into the destiny that God has for you. So sometimes God needs to remove them. And when we remove them, we should not run after them, but we should continue walking according to God's purpose. That's how we can apply this point. I believe that we'll be speaking to somebody right now. The next thing is this, and I'm going to go to Zechariah eleven, eight 8b, the second part and nine, persisting rebellion. Verse eight, second part says this, "'The flock detested me, and I grew weary of them, "'and said, I will not be your shepherd. "'Let the dying die and the perishing perish. "'Let those who are left eat one another's flesh.'" Jesus, or God, is prophesying through Zechariah, saying, I will get rid of the shepherds, I will refather you, but yet the flock detested me, and I grew weary of them. Isn't that just amazing how 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 rebellious and how how even um, I don't know if I, I can't even find a word how, how how ridiculous human beings can be sometimes. You see, the people God got rid of those who were oppressing them and said Jesus, but yet it was this Jesus, the the people that Jesus performed miracles to were the same people that got him crucified. Isn't that amazing, it's, it's crazy. And I'm reminded of even Israel's history. Exodus 17, verse seven, I'm gonna read you this scripture. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarrel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Context rewind a little bit. Up to this point in Exodus, Israel, they were kept, held captive in Egypt Moses was sent by God to liberate them. Moses led them out of Egypt. He parted a sea. I don't know about you, but if I saw the parting of a red sea, I think I'll be pretty convinced and not doubt God. Not only did he part the red sea, they got supplied them manna and quail from the sky. Can you imagine if you saw some seaw yoke and some piles dropping from the sky and you and God just feeds you supernaturally like this. Knowing human beings will be like, where's the sauce, huh? this again. But anyway, right? So, so at this point, they doubted God again saying, is God among us? So what's happening here, Israel, despite all the incredible things that God has done, despite sending Jesus, still does not turn to him. And you and I are also the same. A lot of times, God has given us victories, given us breakthroughs, won different battles in our lives, but yet we are so quick to forget the goodness of God. This day, I urge you, don't forget to remember how good God is. God is good. And all the time, God is good. And all the time, yes, He is. God is good. Psalm 94, verse 7 to 11 says this, Today, if you... Only hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massah in the wilderness, referring to the Exodus portion or incident, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And this was, of course, fulfilled in the second, uh, the destruction of the second temple where um, the Roman exile happened and Israel was dispersed. And it can be also the same for you and I. Let's not harden our hearts. Let's not be so quick to turn away from God in our moments of trouble or in our moments of success. And the next one is this Zechariah 11, verse 10 to 11 says this. Uh, or this is my point perceive as he sees verse 10 says then i took my staff called favor and broke it revoking the covenant i had made with all the nations it was revoked on that day and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the lord wow strong words here the, the 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 covenant was broken and revoked I thought covenants cannot be broken and on face value I looked at that yes I can't it, it kind of troubles me as well but as I look at the, the wording a little bit the word here to cut down or to revoke is like this word to make a stump you know when you see a tree when you cut off a tree what happens is the remaining of that. Uh, plant is the stump now can the stump regrow or can something else come out of the stump the answer is yes why because the roots were not taken out and if you look at isaiah 11 verse 1 it says this a shoot will come up from the what the stump of jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit so god was not revoking the covenant just for the sake of it he was saying i'm making a stump out of it so that a new one a new covenant a better covenant from the shoot from the a shoot from the stump of Jesse known who is david and we also know that after that is jesus is the descendant of david why so that i can give you a new covenant The old covenant, the new covenant is not a cancellation, but a renewal and an improvement of the old covenant. That's the promise that God gives in spite of Israel's rebellion, in spite of our own sin, God says, well, I will constantly want to do a new Thing in you and what do we need to do we need to perceive that it is from God because verse 11 of Zechariah said this that the oppressed of the flock who were watching knew that it was the word of the Lord so when God takes something away from you when God removes people from you don't take it as punishment take it as promotion why because God breaks us so that he can make us. God has to break you before he can build you. God has to break you in order to build you. God has to break you in order to bless you. I think of a tower. You know, if you think of a 10-story tower, if you want that tower to actually become a 100-story tower, what you need to do is you need to tear down those 10 stories rebuild the foundation, and then go up again so that it can become a 100-story tower. That's what God does when he breaks certain things in our lives. He breaks us so that he can make us. Let's give God a clap offering wherever you are. Let's thank God that he has a plan he has a purpose. Every pain is not in vain. Every hurt is not a waste. God is good and he is constantly working in me and through me. Light out the chat room and say, God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. Break me so that you can use me. God, I wanna see your glory. Hallelujah. God is good and he continues to build and build. Zechariah 11 verses 12 to 14, my point here is this, pick right or pay the price. Pick right or pay the price. Let's read verse 12 to 14, it says this. I told them, if you think it's best, give me my pay. This is Zechariah now, play acting this prophecy. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the porter, the handsome price at which they value me. The sarcasm right there, handsome price. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw them to the portal of the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Here, what is directly correlating to it is actually talking about the incident where Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Think about this, this is so incredible, Judas, lived, ate, slept, walked, ministered with Jesus, saw him in action. You could not get any more firsthand account than that, but yet he still betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It is not, any, it is not an insignificant amount. It is, in fact, what you would pay for a slave. That's seen here in Exodus 21, verse 32. I will show you this scripture here. What do we esteem God to be or who Jesus is to us? Will we just pay or trade Jesus for 30 pieces of silver that like how we will trade different things in our lives? Matthew 26 verse 15, this shows us Judas um, receiving the bribe. He said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted him 30 pieces of silver. And Matthew 27, verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces to the chief priests and the elders, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, saying that he was thrown back into the porter's house. When I look at that, I'm just going, this is incredible. Zechariah and the book of Matthew, written in totally different timelines and different people and no way of communicating with one another, but yet the prophecy was fulfilled so accurately like this. How can anyone deny that the Bible is real? That's just my thoughts right there. But Matthew 27, verse nine to 10, it says this, that was when it spoke, that was, then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me." Again, another fulfilling of the prophecy. Now, if you were sharp, you will notice, hey, didn't Matthew 27 verse 9 and 10 mention Jeremiah and not Zechariah? Well, I looked it up and there are a few possibilities. One, there could have been a copyist error, one of somebody was transcribing the scroll of Matthew earlier on, or after Matthew wrote it, and he made a mistake. One is that it could have been possibly quoting the scroll of um, Jeremiah, which Zechariah was written in. So again, to me, not a big issue, but let's keep going on. John 18, verse 38 to 40. I will summarize this point by using this account. What is truth, retorted Pilate? With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against him. This is Jesus but if it is your custom for me to release one prisoner at the time of the Passover, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is also a prophetic image of how people would be in this day and age, that when we have a choice of Jesus, we say, no, I don't want Jesus. Give me Barabbas. I, want, I don't want what is real and what is true. Give me what is new and what is exciting. We replace the important with the immediate. They saw Barabbas as a charismatic leader, one who they thought that would lead Israel out of Roman rule and everything, Roman oppression and everything like that, but they chose wrongly. And it is so incumbent on you and I that we do not choose wrongly. We do not pick wrong. Otherwise, we would pay the price. What is good may not necessarily always be of God. When you make decisions, when you pick certain things, whether it's a career choice, whether it's a life partner, whether it's an option or whether it's studies or even is your own daily life, how you carry yourself, the words you speak, the things you say, are you choosing good or are you choosing God? My last point is this Zechariah 15 verse 17. It is also about false leadership. How am I going to use a P for that? Give me a guess. Anybody type it in the chat, guess. Maybe I'm going to spell false with a P. I don't know, like some French word, like falsey or something. No, I am using this word, very strong words here. It is this P-brained leaders. Somebody say, ouch. If you're in the hall, say, ouch. If you're at home, say, can I apply some aloe vera to that? If you're in the chat, say, burn. p brain leaders. Zechariah 11 verse 15 to 17. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. That's why I got pea brain leaders. For I'm about to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the loss, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but what? But will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock! May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. So I, I mentioned earlier on. I'm going to come back to this point of phony leadership, and how can we tell phony leadership or pea brain leadership? Is this number one? Here, the scripture tells us they will not care for they will not care for the loss they see the great commission as the great suggestion any church that immediately starts looking internally where the needs of their own outweigh the needs of the world or rather their preferences outweigh the mission that they are assigned to they immediately become irrelevant A leader, a church, must always be about fulfilling the Great Commission, make disciples, save the lost, evangelism. These are non-negotiables of our Christian life. And Any leader that denies that they need to reach out, that they need to be relevant, that they need to speak the truth, but in love, is a foolish leader. Secondly, they must seek the young. Oh, and this one got me here. A leader that does not see the importance of the next generation is foolish, is pea brain because the next generation represents the future of the faith and of the church. You know, I've thought about this. Uh, those of you who are grandparents and parents, don't you realize that you will do almost anything for your kids? You adjust your lifestyle completely now for the kids you do everything for your children i have two kids uh one my eldest is a girl and the youngest is a boy the boy is only about three uh coming to three months now well not yet just past two months hey they're adorable i love them and i see my parents and my, my parents my mom and my in-laws will do anything for them and if, even for me i'm listening to their songs i i, I have I, I told those of you who have spotify you know how they have this like top Top, your top playlist kind of thing, Coco Mellon is like on there, and I go, oh my gosh, Coco Mellon again. Those of you who were kids will know what I'm talking about. But wh- wh- why do we do that in the natural, but yet in the spiritual, we expect the kids to like what we like. We want the next generation to sing our songs. We want the next generation to listen to our type of sermons. We want the next generation to have ministry the way we had it. Why? Why? Can I, th- can I ask you for a moment there, why? This is t- controversial, but I'm gonna write on that saying, I'm preaching the scripture here. And I'm not just speaking to older people, I myself am in that bracket. When I go to a youth service, sometimes I listen to the songs and I go, what in the world is this? But I go, you know what? I see young people ministering, being ministered to, they are singing along with this. You know, I'm gonna ride with it. So they must always seek to build the next generation. The third thing that leaders, the foolish leaders do is that they will not heal the injured. They will not heal the injured. They're not concerned about the hurting. They're not concerned about the loss. The church is all about all about using people to fulfill programs but never to minister to them. That's what foolish leaders do. And the other thing is that they don't feed the healthy as well. Essentially, this here, it's none of none of us, none of you. It is quite blatantly obvious what a foolish shepherd is, because I remember the conversation that Jesus had with Peter in John chapter 21. What did Jesus say to uh, Peter? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Then what did he say? He said, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Those of you who are in small groups, cell groups, connect groups, leaders, ministry, as you do ministry, you're not just doing tasks, you are feeding the Lord sheep, therefore, representing or showing your love for God through his people. So take heart in that, take comfort in that. And this is what God ends by saying: Even though He raises the foolish shepherd, he allows the Foolish Shepherd to take charge of Israel and come into the world, he will in the end judge them. That's the end of Zechariah chapter 8. 11, it was really fast paced, but I'll try to cover all 17 scriptures, all 17 verses rather in at one point. Let's close in prayer, shall we? If you are on site now, and if you're online, I just want you to take the next two or three minutes or so and rededicate your hearts and refocus your, your mind onto God right now. You could be thinking about different things, but I just want you to think back about what all that you have heard today in this message. I want you to think of what spoke out to you, what spoke to you and what stood out for you. And that that we stood out to you is what the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you. Maybe when I said that God will refather the oppressed, you are in that space right now and you've got, you want a touch from God to refather you. Maybe you struggle with pride. Maybe you think that you've got it all, you have it all together. And because of your success or good life and you have kind of walked away from God and now you want to come back and rededicate your life to Him. Maybe it's it, 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 it's it's you, you have struggled under bad leadership or you're feeling all the effects or whatever whatever it is can you just commit that time now to the Lord? And if that's you on site, can I just ask right now to for you to stand and say God, I respond to you as you stand and respond to God, even though I'm not there physically, it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the ministering, not me. so respond to God right now whatever, Whatever way the message spoke to you or worked in your heart, do that. Even if you're online, do that. Lift your hands and say, God, I thank you for this revelation. I thank you that you've spoken to me through the word i receive received from you now. Let him minister to you. Let him minister peace. Let him minister love. Let him minister restoration. Let, me, let him re, re minister renewed vision. Whatever that you need from the Lord today, let God do it. If you are also online, um, there is a link here that we're can that we going to have here on the screen. Jump into this link and go into our online prayer room. And we have people there who are ready to pray for you. For those in the hall, just stand where you are and pray. I'm going to close in prayer and then I'm going to hand it back to the worship team. So don't leave just yet. We're going to close. We're going to end the service by worshiping God. But before that, let me close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your amazing love and I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can come here today and listen to your, your word. And I thank you that even in this word, there are many needs that are being met, many many needs been ministered to, many lives been, been touched by you, Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you give all these people, you, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, give all these people listening what they need, God so that we can continue serving you, glorifying you, and moving forward with you. Lord, you are good, you are awesome, and you are amazing, and we give you back all the praise and all the glory and all honour belongs to you. Minister to my brothers and sisters online and onsite. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen, for those of you online, please, site, please stand and let's close with this song, those of you online as well, don't log off just yet. Let's end by worshipping and exalting God. God bless.